If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter number two. Uh, uh, this is a non-sermon series month, but the way the Holy Spirit led us, we've been talking about a religious spirit all month. Uh, and so I'm going to, uh, I think, wrap up <laughs> uh, our discussion on a religious spirit uh, uh, with this particular message uh, out of the book of Ephesians chapter number two. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Uh, Then we'll pray and see what the Holy Spirit would say. The book of Ephesians chapter number two. When you guys have it, say amen. 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 If you guys don't have a Bible or anything, it'll be up on the screens. Here's what it says, reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Parenthetically, he says, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for those good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's good stuff. Uh, I'm going to teach from a message uh, today entitled Works Versus Grace. Works Versus Grace. Bow your heads. Let's pray, shall we? God, thank you for grace. Amen. (laughs) For visitors, they're like, is that the end of his prayer? Is he? This is not going to be a good message. Uh, I grew up a legalist. Not a religious legalist like we've been talking about the past three weeks. Um, But when I was four years old, uh, I wanted to be a police officer. It was my lifelong dream was to work for the Los Angeles Police Department. My mother worked there for uh, 30 years. And I thought that uh, when I grew up, I was going to be a cop from four years old. And the reason why I defaulted to being a police officer, that wasn't my highest call that I had for myself. I actually wanted to be Batman. My dream was to grow up and take Bruce Wayne's place and actually be Batman. We lived in the inner city of Los Angeles in Inglewood. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, And my father told me when I was four or five years old that I couldn't be Batman. And and I was, you know, kind of adamant. No, I'm going to be Batman. He said, you cannot be Batman. We live in Los Angeles. You are going to get shot. (laughs) And as I got older, I was like, I think you're right. There's a reason why Batman chose Gotham (laughs) and not Compton. So I grow up and uh, 
I had an older, I have an older brother who's 10 years older than me. He was a founding member of a gang in Los Angeles. And so I just kind of did the opposite of what he did growing up because all the stuff that he did led to trouble. And so I thought if I just do the opposite, I'd probably be okay. Uh, as I got into my teenage years, because I'm such a nerd, uh, I memorized two-thirds of the California Penal Code. Uh, yes, that, that was my life. That is completely non-gangster, okay? So <laughs> that was not me. I memorized two-thirds of the Penal Code, and uh, I never drank. Uh, I've, I never did drugs. I never smoked a cigarette. Uh, I never did all of these like things because I knew that uh, at 20 and a half, I was going to submit my name to the Los Angeles Police Department. And as one of the processes before they let you in to be a cadet, they send two detectives back to your place of birth. Uh, and they start with your elementary school, sometimes your preschool if they can. And they just work their way up to where you live now. They go to every single address that you have. And they have little pictures of you. I don't know where they get them from, but they have like a little picture of Timmy when he's seven and a picture of Timmy when he's 14, and a picture of Timmy when he's 20. They just ask everybody in the neighborhood, do you remember this kid? Anything fishy we should know about? I remember having these uh, tattoos on my body. One, uh, 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 I have a tattoo here that's supposed to say my name in Chinese. It doesn't. Um, <laughs> I found out by an awesome Asian person who let me know that very quickly. That's not what that says. When they offered to translate it, I ran. I just, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to find out what it really means. And on this one is uh, a holy Bible. I got it before I got saved, ironically. I guess I was prophesying to myself. Um, but I have these two tats. I remember sitting down with the detective and the detective grilling me, you know, yeah, you got tattoos, so you must be bad. I mean, where, where'd you get these tattoos from? And I'm like, it's, a, it's Chinese and it's a Bible. Like, if anything, I'm going to be a missionary to China. There's like nothing... <laughs> I don't understand how you can get this affiliated with gangs, okay? Um, but I did all of this stuff, uh, and I wanted to follow the letter of the law to the T because I wanted to make sure that I would be accepted into the police academy. Just so happens, uh, about uh, halfway through that process, I gave my life to Jesus on January the 14th of 1996. And uh, after giving my life to Christ, I was still in the process to go through the academy and become a cadet, uh, but I remember coming up to my psychological evaluation and them asking, uh, and, and, it, and me knowing in the back of my mind, uh, I have to make sure that I don't elaborate uh, in my psychological evaluation because they're very, very strict. Well, I had just given my life to Jesus, and because I gave my life to Jesus, I was like, I'm going to do everything according to the scripture. I'm going to be a man of integrity. When I get saved, I'm saved now, and, and, and I'm going to be a cop, and I'm going to arrest everybody. And between them getting in the back of the squad car and getting to the detention center, they will give their life to Jesus Christ. I thought it was a smart move. They're a captive audience. They're in the back of my car. <laughs> just turn off the radio, talk about Jesus. Probably won't, it would probably empty all the prisons just between me and handsome handcuffs and a car ride to the jail. I told the truth of my psych. They failed me. I'm not crazy. I just failed the psych. And why'd they, why'd they fail me on my psych? Because I told the truth. Well, then I got mad at God. And I was like, really? You know, this is all I wanted to do. So I was four years old and I was told I couldn't be Batman. 
The only other alternative was to be a police officer. I have never drank. I have never smoked weed. I have never smoked a cigarette. I have never been drunk. I have never committed any crimes that anybody knows about. <laughs> How could I fail this psych? I did everything right. And it is amazing that even though I held that mode of thought to be a police officer, there are hundreds of thousands, I dare to say millions of people that adhere to a religious system that believe that by doing everything right, then everything will go right. That if I pray for the proper amount of time mixed with the proper amount of worship time, mixed in with the perfect community, if I do enough stuff that's good during the week, then that means that God should answer every prayer that I pray. Because I mean, after all, I'm doing the stuff right. I do good works. That was my thought. And that was just to be a police officer. What's absolutely gripping about the book of Ephesians is not so much the content that is written, it's profound in and of itself, but who wrote it? The Apostle Paul was the epitome of legalism. Wasn't just like a guy who heard about Jesus and decided to give his life to him and had to quit kind of doing bad stuff. No, this was the worst kind of conversion. It was a religious person who thought their formula got them accepted by God, realizing that it's actually God that gets them accepted by his own kindness. When Paul gave his life to Jesus, it was the most radical experience. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that it is better to have never known Jesus at all and give your life to him than to have been raised in a religious environment and then try to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> I, I know people uh, that believe that because they were born in a certain denomination, they have a better grasp on God than people from another denomination. And when I get to investigate and counsel them in certain areas of their life, here's what I find out. Most of them have never met Jesus. They met their denomination. But they never met Jesus. So they thought by going to Sunday school and being a part of the class on Tuesday and being a part of the thing on Thursday and the choir on Saturday and coming to all the services on Sunday made them right with God. And all the sermons began to be preached and communicated that if you do this, 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 and this, then you'll be accepted by the Lord. 
the Apostle Paul puts pen to paper with the book of Ephesians and basically blows the whole thing out of the water. Much to the chagrin of the religious leaders that he broke ranks from. Everyone started calling him a heretic. They wanted him dead because the message became too simple once he met Jesus Christ. See, with religion, the message is very complicated. There's a whole lot of things that have to be done in order for you to be received. But once you meet Jesus, once you meet Jesus, it's very, very simplified. So simplified, in fact, that religious people panic when they hear how simple you've made it. Because wait a minute now. It can't be that simple. Stop that. I, I remember the Holy Spirit uh, asked me uh, one day, I had been preaching for at least uh, 10 to 12 years, and the Holy Spirit said, hey, Tim, uh, why, why do you uh, do these long altar calls? And, and it, was a, it, it just struck me uh, uh, in my head as profound because I was like, why, why would you ask me that? We're supposed to do the sinner's prayer. Like, we've got to lead people through the sinner's prayer. And he said, yes, where is that found? And I was like, oh, oh boy. Um, well, I heard it. And then I memorized it because I heard it so much. So I just thought when I did an altar call that I had to say it like, like they said it. Lord, Lord, I believe, I believe. You were born, you were born of a virgin, of a virgin. That you hung, you hung, you died, you died. On the cross, on the cross, for my sins, for my sins. But on the third day, on the third day, you were raised from the dead, raised from the dead. And now you live forever, you live forever at God's right hand, at God's right hand. I repent, I repent for my sins, for my sins. I'll never do it again, never do it again. All, you just did this whole prayer. And now we said, because you did that, you're saved. Not the fact that you believed, but the fact that you could repeat what I said, now you're saved. Um, no. So the Holy Spirit said to me, um, I only want you to ask them three questions from now on. And if they answer yes to all three questions, they're saved. And I was like, okay, what are the questions? Uh, do you believe Jesus is Lord? Yes or no? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes or no? Do you repent of your sins? Yes or no? If you answer yes to those three questions, you're saved. Now, now here's the thing that, 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 baff, that, that religious people don't like about that. It's just too easy. No, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay. What about the virgin birth? What about predestination, propitiation, justification, <laughs> sanctification, second coming, pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip? What about that? They need to know that. But when do they need to know that? Right now? Like today? They need a bachelor's in theology right now? On the day that they believe Jesus is... They need to know all of that. We need to have a Bible class today during the altar call and an examination at Guest Central. It's amazing 
that there was a hill to get to Calvary's cross, but religion has made it an obstacle course. Jack and Jill could get up the hill. We've made it so not even a trained Marine or Army Ranger can make it, make it halfway up. So I want to talk to you about the difference between works and grace. Because if you've been works-driven in your faith, you've probably been doing a lot more than you need to be doing in order to rest in the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. I'm not here to debate the theology of grace today. I have a whole other message on that because there's some people that have taken the grace message outside of the parameters of where God clearly spoke about it in Scripture. But I just want to talk to you about the difference between works and grace. You guys ready? So some definitions I want you to write down first, and then I'll give you my points. Uh, so... My definition of works, I want you to write this down. An earned blessing that comes from right actions. My definition of works is an earned blessing that comes from the right action. So I earn my blessing by doing the right things. That's what works is, okay? Here's my definition of grace and the definition of grace. Undeserved blessing that comes from God's kindness. Grace is undeserved blessing that comes from God's kindness. Works is a blessing that you think you earn because you've done the right actions. Without understanding that grace is God's undeserved blessing to us. And what is the undeserved blessing? Christ Jesus. That undeserved blessing that comes from God's kindness. The whole message of grace can be wrapped up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the three points that I want you to have with these working definitions that I just gave you. Point number one, I want you to write this down. Works take credit, but grace takes pleasure. Works take credit, grace takes pleasure. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2, 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. If you want uh, something else to write under uh, that point, parenthetically, you can write obligation versus opportunity. Uh, I, I can always tell when I'm around a, a, a works-driven person uh, because uh, they're always talking about their performance. They're, they're always talking about why they believe uh, uh, they've had so much success in the faith or in ministry or whatever, uh, b because I, I gave my way into this blessing. I gave so much money. God finally had to say, oh, my God, look at this guy. Wow, he is amazing. Yo, angels, come look. You see how much money this guy gave to me? I guess I should just give him a house then. He's so awesome. Giving everything he had and telling everyone about it. Bravo, Mr. Man. Let's put you on a poster. 
As a matter of fact, let's just insert a book after Revelation named after this guy. Works takes credit. Grace takes pleasure. Works feels like it's obligation to do it. I know people that feel like if they're not in church every single weekend, they will be punished by God. I have had people sleep in too late and miss their normal prayer time and feel like their whole day has been ruined because God is so petty.com. <laughs> that he is literally setting his watch going, it's six o'clock and you didn't even wake up. Look at that. You, you didn't even wake up. You know what? It's going to rain today. I'm going to make it rain all day. And you're going to be in traffic for 45 minutes. You're going to get to work late. Your whole day is going to be terrible because I cannot believe it's 6.05. I've been waiting on you five minutes. You just can't get up on time, can you? Anytime we are in works, we don't rest in God as father. We tremble in God as stepfather. I don't want to wake up every day feeling like I'm obligated to do something. I wake up every day overwhelmed by his grace in my life and that I have the opportunity to respond because of his grace. It's not obligation, it's an opportunity. Um, I have uh, a best friend and I have a twin brother. You guys know by now my twin brother uh, is Preston Morrison. My best friend is Corey Miller. And uh, Corey Miller uh, is a unique individual. Uh, uh, and I say that because he has particular taste and all this kind of stuff. So, so he was talking about uh, this coffee machine one day. Oh, this one coffee machine is just amazing. Uh, it makes the aroma robust. Uh, and the beans do something. I don't know. I don't drink coffee. I'm naturally caffeinated. So I just don't even get, I don't even get coffee drinkers. And he's just going on about this coffee machine uh, like it was just the best thing ever. And so I couldn't stand to hear him talking about it so much because here's the other thing about uh, Corey Miller is that he's very, very cheap, okay? Uh, he's, some people would say, he's, he would say, I'm frugal. No, 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 you're cheap, bro. You're cheap, okay? So he, he, just, he just, but that's, he has a lot of money. So that's another thing too. So glad he goes to our church and he ties. Praise God. Um, <laughs> So I, I, I can't hear his mouth talking about this anymore, so I buy him the coffee thing, okay? I buy him the coffee maker, and uh, uh, I have a key to his home. I, I go in, sneak in, and put it there, and uh, he is absolutely blown away that I bought it uh, to the point that he's almost mad. Why did you do this? This makes no sense. You actually bought me the coffee maker? Why, would you, why in the world would you buy me the coffee maker? And I'm like, you, you, this all you talk about is the coffee maker. So I, 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 I'm so sorry. I love you. And I got sick of hearing about it. So I bought it. That was because I love him and I saw an opportunity to be a blessing. So I blessed him. If he would have said, how long have we been friends? 19 years? I don't think you've done anything for me lately. You know the way you can prove your love to me? This is coffee maker? That gives a robust flavor with some beans? And if you really love me, you would buy that for me. 
that would be not only obligation, it'd be manipulation. And God doesn't want us to have a relationship with him based off manipulation. So he buy, I buy him the coffee maker. About three weeks later, uh, I get ready to get in my car from leaving church, and anybody that knows me knows I'm a gamer. That's what I do with my life. I don't golf like most pastors. I, I broke ranks with all the pastoral code, and I don't golf. I play video games. That's, that's my thing to unwind. I play video games. So I get ready to get in my car. This is when we were meeting at the high school still. And in the driver's seat, uh, there's a box in a bag, uh, and he bought me a PS4. So I get on the phone. I call him. He answers the phone. Hello? What are you doing? Why did you buy me this PS4? You're such an idiot. Makes no sense. Why did you even do this? And he's just laughing on the phone. Ha, ha, ha. Ah, yeah. Now, here's what I know. I know he didn't buy me the PS4 because I bought him the coffee maker. Because that would be obligation, too. You ever heard somebody guilt somebody in church? After all God's done for you. You woke up this morning. He started you on your way. You hear that? That was a breath he just gave you. Your heart is beating. You're not even asking it to. God did that. The least you could do. Just put $10 in this offering. That's all I'm asking. That's all I need is $10 in this offering. It's manipulation. Works is always doing stuff out of obligation. Grace is always doing stuff out of an opportunity to show an incredible amount of gratitude for what's been given. So don't be on the work side. Be on the grace side. Point number two, write this down. Works boast, grace thanks. Works boast, grace thanks. Ephesians 2 and 9 Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. If you want something parenthetically after this, pride versus humility. I am shocked, especially in the day and age that we're living in right now, with all of the laws that are being changed in courts and all of the protests that are going out on certain issues, I'm amazed to see so many believers switch their perspective on their salvation as one of gratitude to a badge of honor they work for and now get to stick in other people's face. I'm shocked by it. That the overwhelming grace that we've been given, we start to wear it like we did something to deserve it. And because you don't know about it, something's wrong with you. But I figured it out. I've been saved for 20 years. I figured it out. And I got myself together and gave my life to Jesus. And I did him a favor. Because before he met me, he didn't have anybody on the battlefield. 
like he had when he got me. And all of y'all are going to hell <laughs> until you figure out what I figured out. Let me get this straight. So, you were in your sin, and you were a sinner, and you liked being a sinner. And then one day the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sins, and you knew something you didn't know before. The Holy Spirit led you to Jesus. You gave your life to him not by going to a class, not by graduating from seminary with a degree, by simply saying, I believe you are Lord. And by that one statement of your belief, you're better than everyone else that hasn't made that statement yet. Scripture says at the end of the day, every knee will bow. And every tongue is going to confess in heaven, earth, and the things under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. With the short time that we have on this earth, whether it is our life or before his second coming, I don't want to spend my time waving my identity in people's face smugly. You don't have what I have. I want to graciously show what I have to them in a way that makes them say, how do I get what you got? Works boast. And they can't get enough of boasting. I pray every morning at 6. And it's, it's crazy. Morning prayer people just get like a badge of honor that no one else gets. <laughs> If you pray at 3 p.m., you are just not as holy <laughs> as people that wake up at like 3 o'clock in the morning, which I want to know when you go to bed, if you wake up at 3 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. But, but, but it's always boasting. Instead of just doing it out of a gratitude that I love being in relationship with God, everything's about, you know what? And I got up at 3 and prayed for seven hours. <laughs> I'm in the warfare here. Stuff is serious on earth, brother. I'm in warfare every day, seven hours a day. It's a full-time job. I mean, if I don't do it, who will? We got to shake the nations, people. Listen, I don't mind if you pray seven hours. But if you're boasting about it, if it's a, brag if it's a braggadocious thing that since you don't pray for seven hours, something's wrong with your prayer. I... I, I uh, you guys know I pray short prayers by now. And um, I was at a place and I did a short prayer and somebody really had a problem with it. Like after the service, they were like, hey, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. Great sermon, by the way. Here's all my notes. But I really don't know if I should keep them. Because your prayer. So wait a minute, the whole time I was up teaching, the only thing that was in your head was, how come his prayer was so short? How come his prayer was so short? I don't understand why his prayer was so short. Why was his prayer so short? Like, I'm like dropping stuff. He's like, but your prayer was so short. Works 
doesn't feel good until they feel like they've hit all the check marks. In a relationship, there are no check marks. So the prayer would have, the, the sermon would have been better if I'd have said, oh, most auspicious God, creator of both heaven and earth, you are by your empirical nature the God of the universe. If it had not been for you and your auspicious glory, all of the things that you created in the heavens and the earth, the creatures that swim in the sea, the birds that fly through the air, the mammals that roam the dirt, down to the molecular structure, it is only you, God, that I can find solace in. God, if it were not for your grace, today would not be a good day. But because of you, it is. And now, God, I ask that in this sermon, all those that open ears would hear a word from you that would cause them to be transformed in the very depths of their souls. And if not in their souls, at least their minds. God, break heaven open and let the very revelatory nature of your word fall and cascade like manna from heaven. As it sprinkles the earth, let us take our due portion back to the homes from which we came and feast on the word, not just today, but every day. God, it is in your name, the only name that heals, the only name that delivers, the only name that sets free, the only name that breaks curses, the only name that breaks strongholds, the only name that can bring you up, the only name that can put you down, the only name that feeds you, the only name that raises you, the only name that does anything. Your matchless name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm too simple to do that. <laughs> if I did all of that before I preached, I would forget what I was going to say. <laughs> it sounded great, though. And guess what people say when you use your oratorical ability to impress them with? That guy can pray. Anybody even remember the message? No, but guess what they do remember? That guy can pray. Oh, he preached a great sermon. What was it about? I don't know, but it sounded good. I, I want to leave people with the word. His grace has been too good for you to remember my name. I'd rather be on purpose forgettable so that he can be unforgettable. Point number three, write this down. Works keeps you old. Grace keeps you new. Verse 10. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, Underline this, if you have a Bible, if you, or you can highlight it in your, in your app or whatever you have. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
I'm going to read it again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, here's what works does. Works, go, works does this. And here's, here's the mindset. I got to do good stuff and then I'll get salvation. Here's what grace does. Grace says all I have to do is receive what has been given. And as a result, I'll do good things. Here's what Paul is writing to the, the, the church at Ephesus and saying. He says, hey, I want you guys to listen. You, you, you've be, been created as a masterpiece. Before you were living in your sins and you were, you were all into your sinful inclinations, then you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You didn't do that by yourself. God's grace, when he raised him from the dead, gave us an opportunity to come into relationship with him. He didn't make it hard. All you have to do is believe that he is and you will be saved. Now that you have that salvation, here's what, here's what he says, and this is a guarantee you can take to the bank. You've been transformed because you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You've been made anew in Christ Jesus. And now you get to do the good things that God planned for you long ago. See, it's not works that leads to good things. It's grace. And when you have grace, you do good things. You don't try to do good things to obtain the grace. You receive the grace and then you do good things. It is hard to be mad at nice people. I remember being in junior high and um, there was a, a fight broke out. You know, I don't know, 3 o'clock was like the national standard time for fights. Like no matter what time zone you were in, 3 o'clock when the bell rings, that's fight time. So a guy goes out there to have this fight, and he, he, he's picking a fight with a guy who doesn't want to fight him. So he's like, come on, man, put your hands up. And the guy's like, no, no, I just, no, I don't want to fight, man. And he's like, come on, fight. And he starts pushing him, and the guy's like, oh, man, no, I don't want to fight. I don't know, he's just tired that day. He just, no, I'm not in it. I don't know who scheduled the fight, but I'm not showing up for it. <laughs> I don't want to be in a fight. So the guy hits him. I mean, just chin checks the guy. And the guy takes the punch, and he never puts up his arms. And you know how, like, kids, like, like try to provoke it? Like, come on, man, fight. You know, they're all there. Nobody's going to jump in. But they're like, you do it. You get punched. I'm not. <laughs> well, he punched him in the face. Then he pushed him a couple more times. And then the whole crowd turned on him. Turned on the guy that instigated the fight. Stop it, man. Leave him alone. Look, he's, he, he, look at him. He doesn't want to fight you, bro. And then there's always a big guy who's for justice. There's always a big guy in every school who's for justice. And he, nobody can beat him up. So like when he steps into a situation, everybody's like, hey, you know what? Time to go. So everybody was saying this stuff, but then big guy shows up and he's like, hey, man, just leave the dude alone, man. Or you can fight me. And the guy was like, well, listen. It's just really hard to pick a fight with a nice person. This is what made Jesus' crucifixion so amazing. Because they didn't pick a fight with someone weak. They actually picked a fight with the person who spoke them into existence. 
the surrounding circle of people watching the fight were waiting for him to tell them they could jump in the fight. And they would have eradicated the entire empire of Rome. And here's what Jesus says. I don't want to fight. So if you're going to kill me, I guess you'll just have to kill me. But we plan for these people that believe in me being raised from the dead to do some incredibly good things. So if it means that I go down today, it means that we also all come up together tomorrow. Grace makes us new. Works keep us in that old pattern of legalism. Paul was done with that. He said, I don't have time for that anymore. I've been created anew in Christ Jesus. Now I get to do the good things that God planned for me to do long ago, not because I have to, but because I get to. Here's what I want everyone else, everyone today to walk out from this service with the realization that you have the opportunity to do good stuff. Not the lingering thought that you have to do good stuff. When I get ready to sit down with a new believer, one of the things they always tell me is, man, I got to stop doing everything that I was doing. And I say, um, yeah, but do you know why? Do you, do you know why? You're not stopping it because something's going to happen to you. If, if something's going to happen to you, it could have already happened to you before you gave your life to Jesus. You are now no longer obligated to do that stuff. You know that it's not good anyway. You get to live a different way. And when people realize that no one's going to track them down, that no one's going to tap their phone, turn their counseling session into a sermon, try to impose a bunch of rules that keep you in line. When people realize the Holy Spirit can convict them, everything changes. When you start to realize, I'm going to stop doing that. You just wake up one day, I'm going to stop doing that. And you realize it's been the Holy Spirit that's been empowering you to stop all the stuff you've stopped from the day you got saved to where you are now. And you may not be in a perfect place, but I, I guarantee you one thing. If you are following Jesus, there is no way that you are aware of his grace and doing the exact same things you were doing when you met him. I'll leave you with this last example and then we'll close. Uh, if you want to, I know a lot of people, man, I need to really start getting in shape, I need to work out, I need to eat better. Uh, and people have, you know, they try to go on diet plans, try to get gym memberships. All you got to do is start hanging around healthy people. You start hanging around healthy people, and y'all sit down for lunch, and they all have a salad with grilled chicken on top of it, and you got burgers, fries, and a shake. One or two things are going to happen. You're going to start eating chicken salads, 
with a low-fat vinaigrette or you're not going to be hanging around them anymore. <laughs> it's not rocket science. See, the, here's what I love about uh, being the senior pastor of this church. I don't recruit people to come to church. I just try to put out good food. And if you eat it and you start becoming healthy, you'll be back. If you're not interested in being healthy, you won't be back. And that is absolutely fine with me because I respect people who have made up their mind. What I don't respect is people that will eat a grilled chicken salad in front of you and get in the car and have a burger, fries, and a shake. If you're going to be a burger person, just eat your burger. You're not going to feel good. Your digestive system is going to let you know we're going to hold on to this. For three days. See how you like that. I know y'all didn't want that visual. This is going to be a grace environment. This is a grace environment. And people are going to grow. They're going to make mistakes. But we're going to give them an opportunity to understand that grace is what saved them, not works. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. By, by, by a show of hands, who, who, who used to be a works person? If this message was for you, just you, you, you should be proud to raise it up. You, you just used to be a works person. I did too. Listen, God just wants you free. You'll do more good things for God, resting in his grace, than you would with a checklist of things that you think you need to do to keep his grace. It makes no sense that one statement of belief in Jesus Christ could change our lives in the way that it does, but it's the way he set it up. Because he doesn't want us to have credit. He wants all the glory for it. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And if that has been you at any point in your life, or maybe you're still wrestling with some of it now, I just want you to come up and get prayer. If you need prayer for any reason, it doesn't even have to be about what I taught about. If you've been carrying a burden all week, you want to drop it off, come to the altar. We would love to pray for you. If you're in here under the sound of my voice and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you should come up. If, if, if you know right now that Jesus, Lord and God, raised from the dead, the best thing you can do before you leave is come up to one of our altar ministry team. Just confess that out of your mouth. They're not going to give you a hope prayer to repeat, we're going to rejoice that the Holy Spirit brought you to Jesus. If you're not a resident of Embassy City Church, you can still come for prayer. We just like praying for people. Pain in your body, whatever the case may be, you can come. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will draw every person that needs prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?